0: (coughs) I'd like to encourage all of us to be patient with ourselves, to reflect on the uh, arduousness of the work. And to get in perspective uh, what we've already done, I told the story of Angulimala, uh, a famous murderer, bandit, who was stopped by the Buddha, who ordained and, and uh, went on to full enlightenment. And so to encourage us when we get uh, lost in some events or some judgments of ourselves to to reflect that this person who had killed many, many beings was able to turn it around. But it was arduous, his practice was arduous. One of the Buddha's sayings was that it is easier to be Victorious over a million men on the battlefield, a million, a thousand times a thousand. I'm not sure if that's a million. Thousand times a thousand is a million. Easier to be be victorious over a million uh, men on the battlefield, be victorious over a huge army like that, than it is to be victorious over oneself. It's challenging. Yet when we don't do this work, when we we are just dazzled by the outflows, looking for security, we can do a lot of harm to ourselves and a lot of harm to others. Just to reflect that the suffering that we experience uh, in, in cultivating the path is, is suffering that's leading to the end of suffering, so, to encourage ourselves. And to, to also encourage ourselves with the, it might just be theoretical to us, but that, uh, that uh, when we see into the nature of things, what was suffering can be a wonderful existence. There can be ease with conditions as they are. There can be beauty with conditions as they are. There can be um, the magic of compassion, the magic of generosity, the, the magic of... Uh, deep peace when there's understanding of emptiness, but when there's not an understanding of emptiness, a wonderful existence can be wretched existence, and all we have to do is just look in the world and look at some of the states that we go through, all the killing, exploitation, torture, insensitivity, all through not understanding. So we're taking on we're we're taking on a a, a, a difficult challenge. But as Ramdas said, well, what else is there to do? What else is there to do? Rather than suffering, trying to get something that might just lead to more suffering, what's wrong with suffering for the end of suffering? Master Y even said, I like suffering. (laughs) And that's actually very helpful. It's very helpful to to welcome suffering. It's not easy because our tendency is that's something to get away from. But remember the ennobling truth. The ennobling truth. The first noble truth that which ennobles us is consciously to acknowledge suffering and to open to it for the sake of understanding it. And Sometimes we can have insights and start to feel some ease and peace and think, wow, yippee, and then we start calculating, wow, if this much happens in two weeks, then man, I'm a, this rocket's going somewhere. That's what it had for me. I I got, I had three days of hell, and then on uh, on my first ten day retreat, uh, somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was three, four, five days in, my mind was just hell, and body was hell. And we were sitting from like four in the morning till no walking meditation. Uh, just sit, uh, but I experienced some peace staggered by it. You know, I just just remember the deliciousness of that tranquility. And being outside between one of the sessions and noticing dewdrops on a bush and it was just like the most precious jewel bedecked ornament in all of the universe. It was uh I never had time to look at bushes. You know, I was I was busy kind of writing theses, winning tournaments, winning awards, getting someplace, getting to happiness. And you don't have time to look at bushes, but uh, this, the, the mind was so beautiful, and it, oh, everything was beautiful. That was. So then when I did my calculations, well if you can do that in those number of days, then when I heard about Ajahn Chah, the forest master, a few westerners with him did some little notations, and I thought, well, I should be able to blow the lid off this thing in a year, two years max, if I can get this much in five days, or three, four, five, six days. But as we know, you can have some uh, peace, some tranquility, even some true insight, and still run into some snags, <laughs> run into some challenges. Which as it should be, because that's revealing to us where we're still not understanding. I had a a real breakthrough in my—76, 77, I don't know, after about a year and a half, two years, as I was uh, telling you, had a sense of the background, of the heart, feeling peaceful. So excited about it. I could just, any thought could come in and I, I would welcome them. So I was sort of getting excited about this peace that, that seemed to be like there. Then I ran into some heavy weather. Nothing to shake your jitta, nothing to shake your heart than uh, six months of diarrhea, getting bit by a centipede, urinating blood. Ending up in a nightmare hospital, getting out of that one, then uh, uh, peace wasn't—I couldn't find it. I had much more trouble accessing it. And then what I just kept noticing was my my uh, greed. One meal a day, and by the time the, the, the meal would come around, I just—all I could think about was just in lust. Uh, and just feeling this is impossible. Though that, uh, where was that inside? It's impossible. Someone who had spent their life wanting to become a champion, and you know, the idea of being enlightened was quite nice, but then you're sitting there on this platform with a row of other monks, once a week doing an all night sitting. You just look up the line, and there's just bald head after bald head after bald head. Look down the line, those below you, and a few more bald heads, bald heads, bald heads and robes. And on the all-night sittings, you know, you, you you wanna be like the Buddha and not move until every last defilement has been sliced with a sort of wisdom. And yet, you know, you start at seven by seven thirty, eight thirty, nine thirty, ten, you know. You and then, you you know, at a certain point, you're just, you're just nodding. You look up the line, and then the row of bald heads is all kind of nodding out. <laughs> look below the line, bald heads nodding out. You're awake for now, but you know it won't be long until you're going to be in there, too. And it was... Uh, then you wake up to your greed again, thinking about the next meal, or your lust, kind of lusting after somebody. So it was... Uh, You know, it was just heavy weather. And I, I got, uh, and in fear of pain, because I'd just come out of that first hospital. You know, having been urinating the blood, they never figured out what that was about, really. And uh, still had the diarrhea. And, uh, In the mind, so I got more and more depressed, and so I asked the acting abbot at the time, Ajahn Sumato, had gone off to England. I, you know, I really loved Ajahn Sumato and loved hearing his dhamma and uh, serving him, and uh, and he'd gone off to start a monastery in England, and the new abbot was doing a, a great job, but it's hard to fill the shoes of Ajahn Sumedho or fill the sandals of Ajahn Sumato. But anyway, this uh, new abbot uh, was a, an American uh, who was a, another Vietnam veteran. Used to be a helicopter pilot, captain, I think, and ended up uh, after the war uh, becoming a monk. And he he spoke flu- fluent Laotian and Thai. He was so good that if a Thai didn't see his face, just heard his voice, they would assume it was a Thai person, or a La- Laotian person. Ajahn Pabakaro is his name. I said, Ajahn Pabakaro, please, will you uh, come over with me to see Ajahn Chah? I said, uh, I'm just feeling so depressed. It just seems impossible. All there is is lust. All there is is greed. Uh, I feel so—everything's so dark. Just seems impossible, and uh, so uh, Ajahn Prabhakra was wonderful. He says, "I'll take you over, Kitty Sorrow." So we went a few miles away to. We were at a branch monastery uh, for the Westerners, and we uh, we went a few miles over to the main monastery where Ajahn Chah was, and. Uh, When the other monks uh, went off to evening chanting, Ajahn Chah uh, talked to us. So we were sitting underneath his uh, hut. His hut was on stilts, and as I said, he had this open air space below the hut where he had his wicker chair, and there was a I think it was like a marble floor that we could sit on. He sat in his chair, and we sat. So he said, "Well." Binyang, which means, well, what is it?" I said, Ajahn Chah, I'm feeling really depressed. It just seems impossible, you know, it seems so dark, and uh, it feels like I'll never uh, laugh again. It almost felt like I wouldn't smile again, but I mean, it just felt really heavy. and. Uh, He asked me some about my past, and I think I told him about my wrestling past. Different things. And then he said, "Um, you remind me of a chipmunk. And the chipmunk is like a little squirrel type thing, but it's something that can run and leap from one branch to another. So my tie was pretty basic, so anyway, uh, Pabakro whispers in my ear, he says, you remind him of a chipmunk. (laughs) So meanwhile, Pabakro's whispering in my ear, uh, Ajahn Chah's sitting in his chair looking down. I'm looking at Ajahn Chah, and Pabakro's whispering to me. He says, you remind him of a chipmunk, okay? a baby chipmunk. And this baby chipmunk sees its mother can run up the trees, and leap from branch to branch. And baby chipmunk says, Cool. And so the baby chipmunk runs up a tree, leaps for a branch, and then, Dok. The Thai word, dok, means it fell down. Like that. And the chip, baby chipmunk starts crying, crying, crying. And the mother chipmunk says, Son, stop crying. You just need to go to school. And so, you know, meanwhile, Pabakro's whispering, son, stop crying, he says, you need to go to school. So, okay, so this baby chipmunk goes off to uh, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, learning some things, and you know, the baby chipmunk's able to run up the trees, able to do a few tricks to jump on this branch, jump on that branch, and then dog, and it shakes its head and starts crying again, and the mother says, just keep going to school. Just keep going to school. Don't worry about it." And so, anyway, Ajahn Chah has this chipmunk going, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. You know, it keeps, dog. And when it would fall down, his eyes almost would, like, go in circles. It was, dog. And somewhere around high school, college, I don't know, somewhere in there at some point I started getting hysterical laughter. So Ajahn Cha just keeps going. This thing's falling, crying, going up, going to school. <laughs> And you know, he goes, keeps going, college and stuff. And meanwhile, I'm on the floor of Ajahn Chah's hut, hysterically laughing, holding. Ajahn Chah keeps talking, and and has this chipmunk getting a Ph.D. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, I recovered and was able to pull myself off the floor, you know, still laughing. And then he's going on. With this chipmunk got a Ph.D. Chipmunk got a Ph.D. And um, and then he said. Uh, and one day that chipmunk could run up the tree, jump this branch, this branch, that branch. It could do everything its mother could do. And I was filled with this glow, just this glow of, uh, you know, and that's— He could say that with confidence because that is our destiny. It's all of our destiny. It's our nature. In the Lotus Sutra when the Buddha said you should have no further doubts, let your hearts be filled with joy, you will, you will reach awakening. You will reach Buddha. But there are obstacles. Our time, it takes time. It's like it's said that a, a spark can burn up a mountain of lies. Spark of insight, little by little, like a match can burn up a big cargo ship's hold full of cotton, little by little by little. Just keep practicing, keep studying, little by little. So I was feeling wonderful about that. And then Ajahn Chah also, he went on to another story. I wasn't quite ready to leave this one yet because it felt so good. And he says, oh, also, you remind me of a donkey. And um, he liked animal stories. Remember, the first time I met him, I reminded him of a dog, <laughs> <laughs> sniffing all over the place. Um, and Tanisha knows. For years, I never told the donkey story because I kind of blotted it out of my mind. But uh, <laughs> the the donkey story, I think it, it, it's 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 demanding airtime. <laughs> so, and uh, she's encouraged me to bring the donkey back. And I, I see he went on to another story, which I I like that chipmunk story because it makes it. He says you also remind me of a donkey. Barcrow whispers, I don't know the word for donkey and I, He says you remind him of a donkey also. <laughs> anyway, this wasn't an ordinary donkey, quite a clever donkey. This donkey was listening to the music of the cicadas, the crickets, cicadas, the insects at night, this orchestral music. And this donkey, being clever, thought, yeah, I'd like to make music like and uh, like I say, it was a clever donkey, so it, uh, it started using its, its brain, and it uh, started watching what crickets were doing. And it noticed that they were feeding on dewdrops. Hmm, so that's the secret all feeding on dewdrops. He had observed this for himself. So the donkey diligently started licking dewdrops. Ten, a hundred, thousands of dewdrops. drops. Very diligent donkey, licking, 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 great faith. He hung in there more and more, and then he was really feeling like he'd taken in a lot of this nectar, and he was confident and prepared to open his mouth <laughs> <laughs> and make music. <laughs> And uh, Ajahn Chah didn't even have to say anything. <laughs> you can imagine what happened. And I, for a long time I thought, now why did he tell me that story? Well, that chipmunk, yeah, hang in there, buddy. Just keep going and you're going to make it. And okay, you fall down, you fall down, you dust yourself off and keep going. I have a sense of humor about this. Um, that's good wisdom, but the donkey story? And little by little, I'm just contemplating that, yes, we have teachers. Yes, we have uh, study. We practice the Dhamma, and it will unfold. But there's something in that donkey story about honoring this body, listening for our sound, listening in, letting the Dhamma emerge out of being with this, not just the question of trying to copy somebody. That the the flowering happens by reading the Book of the Heart, by working with this body. These moods, these obstacles, these obstacles that we face are not mistakes. They're what, they're they're our teachers, they're our sharpening stones, they're what, they're what opens us up. It allows the orphans and the wounds to be touched and transformed eventually by the healing power of kindness and, and wisdom and awareness. as Tanisha mentioned earlier in the retreat, the supreme practice at the Buddha, the supreme practice for overcoming these, these painful states, these unskillful states, or these states of misery, difficulty, affliction. The supreme practice is patience. Real patience kindliness And that what reveals our true nature is is reading the book of the heart. And in the book of the heart is our body, this body, with its feelings, not someone else's feelings, our these feelings, these perceptions. These moods, I'm not trying to imagine what somebody else is working with this. Yes, we get encouraged by the teachings and that's helpful, it's very important, we get a sense of how to practice. But we return the light and illumine, return the sound, return the light and illumine this body and mind. And to give ourselves some credit for what we've already done, to give ourselves some encouragement. Let's just look at the playing field here. The Buddha talked about, he told a story of a Brahmin that once made an amazing offering, an alms offering. He offered 84,000 golden. Cups filled with silver, 84,000 silver cups filled with gold, 84,000 bronze cups filled with gold bullion, not the million, thousands of elephants and millions of silks and uncountable numbers of medicines and foods. And that's a, Buddha said, that's a huge offering, and there's great meritorious energy from that. The Buddha said, "If you make an offering one offering to someone who's entered the stream, to someone who has right views, someone who's entered the stream, really tasting the banya, that's more meritorious, that has more auspicious power in it and then the Buddha goes on to say, but you can if you if you offer food to a hundred interests, offer it to someone who's even had a de- deeper insight, a once-returner, is more, has more. I forget the word the Buddha used. More auspicious energy in it. The Buddha went on like that. Then if you offer to a hundred of these, this you know, and so it's even more powerful to offer to a fully awakened uh, an arahant even more meritorious to offer to a, a fully enlightened Buddha. And then he goes on. But, but with even more uh, — I can't remember the exact phrase he used of, — of greater benefit is when a person with a sincere heart takes refuge in these principles of Buddha awakening Dhamma, the true nature of things, Sangha. Truly wholesome friendship. If someone does that and keeps and 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 undertakes the training in the five precepts, that's even more beneficial. And then even more beneficial than that is someone who practices kindness for even the time it takes, the Buddha said, to pull the udder of a cow. That's not long. To open the mind. That's just such a powerful thing. Even just for a moment, to open the mind with kindness. Just think of that first, just still remember that first offering of these huge good acts that, that have good karma in them. The Buddha says, but just, he wants to point out how potent it is to have a mind of kindness. Why? Because it's the contraction of self and pushing things away is one of the main things that keeps samsara going. A moment of kindness, or several seconds, I suppose, to pull a cow's udder, though I've never done it. And then he finishes by saying... But even more beneficial than that is to contemplate impermanence, to hold in the heart a sense of impermanence for a finger snap. You think, what? For a finger snap, just like that. Even holding impermanence for a finger snap has huge, beneficial, we can't see the karma of that. But that's starting to put hairline cracks, fractures into all this stuff, the focuses of the grasping mind that we take to be me, the foundations of birth and death and suffering and samsara. When we start to see change, all the profound insights, all the liberation emerges from more deeply going into that contemplation of change. So, to give ourselves credit, that's just even for a moment. You start to see change. Things coming and going, coming and going. And from that change, little by little, we rag or dispassion comes. We realize if something's changing, Can I really keep that? It brings suffering, wanting it to be otherwise. Little by little cessation, little by little recognition of emptiness, little by little recognizing the the, spaciousness of the heart itself comes out of this change. So to be patient with ourselves, encourage ourselves. that when we do this work, all these obstacles come. It's not a mistake. It's giving us an opportunity to see where the work needs to be done. Can we have moments of kindness for these obstacles? Moments of seeing that they're changing. Even if it's just a sound. Even if it's just the heart beating. Even if it's just the weather changing, and then the moments of our of our insights return, and then they return, and then they become more established. Sometimes we can we can think to to finish with a, another story from Ajahn Chah. Sometimes we can think that well, but. It's going to be so difficult, and and really if we just become empty, I'm not sure I want to go down that road. Because sometimes we can think, well, if I am just empty, will I be useless? Will I have the equanimity of a doorknob? Of the coolness of a cucumber, and um, to me, Ajahn Chai answered that uh, question very beautifully. He says, uh, "You know, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of it." He said, "It's a bit like this bell. It um, it could it looks sort of empty." And maybe it looks like there's a lot of wasted space in there. You think, well, it seems like it's just sort of wasted, just sitting there. Maybe you could use it to be a nice place. It would be a little more tidy. And it's always useful to know what time it is, so we can be on time. You could keep your clock in there. And it's good to have incense. Offer to the Buddhas, make sure you've got that. And I like special sacred objects, so that would be good in there. That's not, at least it's not a waste, not just empty space going on. Ravanchala says if you do that with a bell and then it comes time to strike it, it just And when the mind is empty, it might look useless. And it's true, isn't it? We, we think, I won't know what to say, I won't know what to do, I've got to, I've got to remember that, I've got to keep that, and I've got to... <sighs> and, then, and sometimes we can be so full that when we do meet, conditions, that we're so full of what we're trying to keep to make us all useful, that we're not really meeting anything, ourselves or others. And a bell might look, uh, this gong might look useless. Arjun Shah says, a bell just sitting there. You know, sometimes people worry if they feel peaceful. I'm just sitting there. And he said, don't worry, just be peaceful. But then if a a condition comes and touches that bell, if there's contact, it it will respond. And an empty mind that's alert, it's not just clinging to tranquility, that's not empty. Tranquility is useful, but an empty mind resonates with tranquility. But if something touches us, if some pain touches us, we'll resonate with the pain and there'll be compassion. Beauty touches us, we'll resonate with the, be- the goodness and the beauty, there'll be joy. And the emptiness of a bell, the emptiness of a mind can, can peacefully resonate with the suchness of things. So whether we have really difficult experiences or peaceful experiences, really encouraging us to stay with this path and to reflect on our good fortune, supreme good fortune. And the beneficial and meritorious nature of what we've already done, trying to live harmlessly, trying to help each other in beautiful ways, the way this little community of ours is working together our moments of noticing change, our moments of being kindly and open-hearted. So may we just uh, deepen our trust, stay with the practice, and remember that it is our destiny to, to wake up because that's our nature. So if we could have a few minutes of quiet circumambulation, then we can have a last short (coughs) sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.